come on down to Narangong, where narrow-minded folk belong. Bring the kids, it's a bloody good place to be. There's a bakery and a primary school, a decent pub and a public pool. There's a roundabout and a bloody good petting zoo to boot. So come on down and grab a beer. You can stay if you're from here. And if you're not, you best be moving along from Narangong. You cats. G'day, cats. Welcome back to the Oral History Project for the charming southeastern South Australian town of Narangong. Sadly, we're getting pretty close to the end of our oral history project. This is the second to last episode. Over the past few months, we've heard about Narangong's various literary endeavours, we've had interviews and visits from some of Narangong's preeminent artists, and we went back over two episodes to hear about the history of the brave lads from Narangong who went off to fight Johnny Turk in World War I. Over Christmas, we heard a number of seasonally appropriate heartwarming stories involving theft, serious bodily injury, and a massive punch-up. We've heard a lot about the Shanky family, of course, but also some of the other well-known and respected people about town, including Australian Charles Darwin, his bird Shaz, Ruth up at the bakery, Joan Harry and her two kids, and just last week we heard about Melinda and Andrew down at Saddleworld. It's been a real adventure, and I'm sad we're starting to wind down, but no... Oh, hey! Oh, yeah, uh, no, just hold on. What a bloody joy. We're joined in the studio by Mrs. McCaffrey's Year 4 Kids. Hey, kids. Um, yeah, if you could just wait in the doorway. Just don't don't cross the doorway. Uh, I understand that one of the conditions of Earl's pre-trial release is that he can't be in the presence of an entire class of Year 4 students. Or any students. Of any number. Um, he just can't be near kids. Uh, yeah, so... You're right to look scared, um, but just stand there a moment while he nicks out the back door. Earl, you're right. Yeah, just yeah, you better leave, mate. Don't look at me. I. It's your own bloody fault, mate. It's your own. No, don't look away. Look away. Now, nah, don't even. Don't even look at him. Yeah, go on. Get out. All right. Bloody weirdo. Great, come on in, kids. Yeah, nah, come on. We he, He's gone. Um, come on in. Yeah, just sit down. Stand up back there in the corner. Great. You know, one of the reasons we're so happy to do the Oral History Project is to preserve the town's history. And these little grommets right here are the very people we're preserving it for. Gather around, kiddos, and listen in close to How Dizzy Lost Her Finger. The cleaver came down in a blur, slicing through flesh, cartilage and bone. It came down again and its razor edge was not slowed nor turned aside by the knot of tendon, but came to rest in the chopping block below. It was Monday, and in cons, the best and only butcher in Narangong, that meant ribs. Not just any ribs, mind you. Con carved only the best ribs from local cattle, and he chose the best cattle early every Monday morning up at the Henry place. He loaded two into his trailer to make the short drive to the Walden Yard behind his shop. His usual procedure was to back the trailer through the gate into the yard behind the butcher shop, unhitch the Land Rover and pull around front, and then walk back through the shop to entice the cattle, sheep or pigs off the trailer and onto his customers' plates, with a short stop in the yard to meet his long, wickedly sharp knife. Then they made the rest of the journey suspended by a meat hook 
hanging from a track that ran from the covered veranda out back, through the back door, and into the walk-in fridge inside. There weren't too many people brave enough to go walking through Con's back gate on a Monday morning, but everyone was happy to walk through the front door, Monday to Friday, 10am to 6pm, to pick up a couple of T-bones for the barbie, or a package of Con's finer sausages. Con had been in a bit of a rush this morning, and had left the Land Rover hitched to the trailer. He had already dispatched one heifer. Most of her skin-trimmed remains had made their way into the walk-in at the back of the shop. A sizable portion had made its way onto the chopping block behind the counter, and was even now being sliced, diced, minced, rolled and filleted under the careful hand of Dizzy, Con's young's apprentice. Dizzy, as she was called by all but her nana, who continued to call her Diane despite all protestations, was a sweet and gregarious lass of 23. She'd been working for Con for the past four years, during which she'd learned most every cut of beef, pork and roux, as well as how to part a chicken, dress a rabbit and make smiley face fritz. Her deafness with the foot-long cleaver that hung from her belt belighted gentle soul who was liked by all about town. Con was in the yard, sharpening his long knife and preparing to lead the remaining heifer out of his trailer and onto a well-drained and freshly hosed square of concrete by the back door. He had not yet opened the door to customers that Monday morning, so Dizzy was inside by herself, which was probably a good thing, because anyone who knew and liked her would have been horrified when she brought the cleaver down and sliced off the tip of her finger. To her credit, an expertly sliced rib lay on the block, but next to it sat a small, perfectly circular piece of flesh, with a small slice of fingernail still attached. Dizzy stared at it for a moment, then looked down at her left pointer finger. It was slightly shorter than she remembered and much flatter at the end. The exposed vessels seemed suddenly to realise that something was expected of them, and they began to bleed. Oh, blow, Dizzy said. Blood ran down the side of her finger, pulled in her palm and dripped onto the chopping block. She grabbed a towel and wrapped it tightly around the abbreviated digit, placed the tip of her finger in a bag of ice, and walked out back to ask Con for a ride to the hospital. Con was happy to put down his knife and give her a ride, but he pointed out that a substantial obstacle lay between them and the hospital. The obstacle was a steel-framed cattle trailer, currently occupied by 500 kilo, a grass-fed heifer. Give us a hand getting the trailer unhooked, Diz, Con said, and we'll run you up to the hospital in two shakes. Con squeezed between the gate and his Land Rover, while Dizzy twisted the trailer jack. He'd made it into the driver's seat and started the engine by the time she'd lifted the trailer halfway off the trailer ball. The sturdy diesel chugged loudly. Dizzy turned the jack handle again and the coupler cleared the ball. She began to fiddle with the quick link that held the safety chain between Con's Land Rover and the trailer. Her left hand was still wrapped in the towel across which a bright red stain was rapidly spreading. She tried to hold the chain link steady but her hand was clumsy and slick with blood. The frayed edges of the towel were getting caught in the chain links. She fumbled with the nut but couldn't begin to loosen it. Con! she called out, wondering why it had only now occurred to her that of the two of them, she wasn't the one to be moving a heavy trailer while Con sat comfortably in the rover. Oi, Con! she called again, over the sound of the happily gurgling diesel. Con heard her, but apprehension is not comprehension, and he mistook her call for help for a pronouncement that she had detached the trailer. He put the rover in first and eased his foot off the clutch. The truck began to roll forward. Dizzy, still bent over the trailer ball, watched the chain draw tight as Con pulled forward. She tried to straighten up, but the towel was now caught tightly in the links of the chain as it pulled against the trailer. Stop! She yelled out, but Con didn't hear her. The rover strained against the weight of the trailer, held in place by the jack, and Con pressed a little harder on the accelerator. 
the jack shifted slightly in the dirt and then began to tilt as the trailer moved forward. Oi, Con, you daft cunt! Now that Con heard. He stepped on the brake, but not quite quickly enough. The jack had tilted forward now, and the slow momentum of 500 kilos of prime heifer pushed it up, up, and over. Dizzy watched in horror as the trailer shifted and rolled slowly toward her. She tried to step back, but the towel wrapping her hand was still caught firm in the links of the chain, held against the hitch. The trailer lifted higher over the tilting jack, like a wave building as it approaches the shore, pushing up against the ocean floor below and curling over before it crashes on the beach. The jack creaked, then twisted free of the steel frame and the trailer came crashing down against the hitch. Con jumped from his truck and hurried back to see what had happened. He was relieved to see that Dizzy had not been crushed between the trailer and his Land Rover. She was standing a good distance back from the trailer, in fact. The tongue of which had ploughed into the rear bumper and wedged itself there in a tangle of metal. Dizzy was clutching her injured hand, which seemed to be bleeding even more profusely than before. The towel with which she had wrapped her hand was now lying on the ground under the trailer hitch. Con bent down to grab it and stopped, his hand in mid-reach. There, nestled in the middle of the towel, like the world's most distressing Easter egg, flattened at one end by a neat cut and mangled at the other by the blunt edge of the trailer coupler, was most of the top half of Dizzy's finger. Oh, she said, staring at her now even shorter finger. Blow. Now, it was some luck that old Bill Bunsen chose that moment to come driving by on his tractor. Con wasn't going anywhere fast with a trailer inextricably intertwined with the rear of his rover, and Dizzy's ashen face and truncated finger suggested that getting to the hospital had taken on an even greater urgency. Con placed the detached digit in the bag of ice with its little brother and helped Dizzy up on the tractor beside Bill. The hospital wasn't too far up the road and Bill happily explained his new tractor could put on quite a spurt of speed when called upon. Dizzy perched on the wheel arch to Bill's left, held on to the back of his seat with her right hand and clutched pieces of herself in a bag on her lap with her injured left. The tractor roared to life and sped, just as Bill had promised, swiftly down the road to the hospital. Bill cheerily explained the merits of the great motorised beast. It could pull twice as much as his old tractor, he explained, easily enough to move the largest of Shanky's legendary hay rakes from sun up to sundown, not to mention the creature comforts. Look at his seat, Bill said, thumping the side of it and speaking over his shoulder. The old girl didn't have more than a battered piece of sheet metal. Worked bloody hell on my piles, I can tell you. Look at this though, foam rubber, integrated lumbar support. And it's got this bloody great big spring underneath it. Any bloody pothole or ditch I hit, up and down she goes on the spring like a bloody pogo stick. Saved my ass, I can tell you. Dizzy nodded groggily at this, the combined loss of blood and pieces of her finger now starting to take its toll on her usual cheery disposition. It's a bloody good thing too, because I'll be spending all day out there next week cutting that hay. We've got the back field ready for cutting now. I'll be taking out Shanky's newest, the Cut Pro, and cutting hay all day long. Cut, cut, cut. Just cutting it down right to the stump. Dizzy's head swam and she turned slightly green. Her clammy right hand gripped the seat back tighter and she gestured with her left for a little quiet. Unfortunately, just that small gesture left the icy bag temporarily unrestrained and it fell from her lap and landed underneath Bill's seat. Seeing the hospital fast approaching, Dizzy reached desperately for the bag with her free hand. It was just under the seat, beyond the rails and tucked up against that bloody great big spring Bill had mentioned. She strained to reach it. Here we are, love, said Bill, as he turned into the hospital. The tractor bounced roughly into the driveway and Bill smiled as his seat, 
saving his ass, bounced up and down like a bloody pogo stick. Oh, said Dizzy, blow. To be fair, it was a rather unusual case, even for the most experienced doctor. The docks in Narangong have reattached their fair share of fingers severed by hay rakes, circular saws and pruning shears, but not one among them had ever seen someone come in to have one finger reattached three ways. Dizzy, in a testament to her craftsmanship, had made the only clean cut of the lot, which helped in the end. The doctors managed to attach the small, almost perfectly circular piece of flesh more or less neatly on top of Dizzy's first knuckle on her pointer finger. She won't be wearing any rings of it, of course, and she can't hardly use it to point, but it's got a tiny slice of fingernail for when she does get them done. Of course, Michelle down at the salon gives her a discount. Wouldn't seem fair, really, she says, charging her full price. She's only got five fingers on one hand and the regular six on the other. You're right. Oh. Looks like we lost a couple of the kids and looks like a couple of the kids lost their lunch. Anyway, what a brilliant yarn. That was how Dizzy lost her finger. Uh, we're glad you joined us for this penultimate episode of the Oral History Project for the charming southeastern South Australian town of Narangong. We'll be back next time with the very last episode. Tune in. It'll be a very special one for you. Until then, take it easy. <laughs>